Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Catholics with Bibles, the podcast dedicated to empowering Catholics to read, interpret, and pray with sacred scripture with the eyes of faith and reason. I am your host, Chase Krauss. Let's dive in. What up, y'all? Happy Holy Week. I am really excited. I actually recorded another episode at the end of last week, and I realized that, well, it was a good episode. I wanted to produce one more episode specifically focusing on something to do with Holy Week. The episode that I recorded last week was with my buddy Ben West, and we're going to publish that next week, the first week of Easter. And But, but I wanted to start uh, this Holy Week off with a podcast with you guys. So I was praying, I was thinking, you know, what, what do I want to say during Holy Week? What might be something that's meaningful or insightful? And quite honestly, if you don't know this already, you know, 90% of every talk, homily, whatever you hear has already, has already been said before. You know, that's the thing about being Catholic. We've been around for 2000 years and there's been a lot of really, really, really smart people before us. So odds are, if you hear something that's incredibly insightful, it's been said before, maybe in a slightly different way. And if you hear something totally brand spanking new and if they're claiming you know, to, to have discovered something totally brand brand new, uh, you know, that red flag should really be going up because odds are it's it's not entirely new. And if it is, it might be slightly heretical. Uh, so just something to keep in mind. And, and so when reflecting upon that reality, uh, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. And uh, I kind of, for some reason, at first I was, I was trying to, you know, I was thinking about focusing on, you know, Jesus as uh you know, the substitute sacrifice kind of in a way for us and looking at the Old Testament, all that stuff. And that's really, really good. And I think, you know, might, might do that in the future. And then I kept praying, I kept thinking about it. And for some reason, just uh, the story of Barabbas kind of kept drawing me. Uh, so the story of, you know, when Jesus was before Pilate and Pilate before the crowds, you know, Pilate offering, you know, uh, Jesus or Barabbas to be released and the crowd, you know, yells Barabbas and all that stuff. And that's actually what I'm going to focus on today. And like, like I mentioned, everything that's been said has already been said before. And so a lot of my research, not all of it, but a lot of it is going to be taken from Joseph Ratzinger's Jesus of Nazareth series. He has three books. Uh, the first one is, well, it's kind of one big book, three different parts, but it is three different physical books. Uh, the first one is more on his public ministry. It's the red one. The second one uh, that, or say, the second one he released is on just Holy Week. It's a giant, nice size book, specifically on Holy Week. And then the third one is on the, the nativity narratives. So for me, I really love reading the Holy Week book during Lent. You know, kind of as we approach Holy Week. I like reading the nativity ones uh, during uh, Advent. It's a great time. And then uh, during uh, ordinary time, I like reading uh, the one about his public ministry. If you haven't read the Jesus of Nazareth series by Joseph Ratzinger, it's awesome. It is a great start for anyone who's looking to dive more into biblical research or study without at the same time feeling like it's overly academic. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, it's odds, odds are it's a really good book for you if you haven't read it yet. Uh, it's brilliant, it's insightful, but it's not one of those books where you 
don't understand half the words and you read a page and you're like, I don't know what I just read. It is not like that at all. Uh, Ratzinger is brilliant. Uh, he's so brilliant that he can make things easy to understand. Uh, that's how you kind of know somebody's really smart is because they don't have to use all these big words that they kind of understand what they mean, but can't put it in a different way. I, you think of somebody like Scott Hahn who has so many uh, lay level books that are really insightful, really brilliant. But at the same time, uh, if you've never read his book, Kinship by Covenant or uh, Politicizing the Bible, those are two more academic books. I think Kinship by Covenant is actually basically his doctoral dissertation that he published. And it's, it's a 1200 page book. And that's definitely more if you want like an academic approach to covenantal theology. Uh, so brilliant people can write really, really well, uh, you know, things that are really hard to understand at a very normal uh, lay level. So a uh, rat singer does the same thing in his Jesus Nazareth series. So diving in, like I said, I want to talk about the story of Jesus and Barabbas. This is a story we hear, and I think it's almost white noise to a lot of us because we hear it every year during Palm Sunday. And it's only really a sentence in some of the Gospels or maybe a, most a paragraph in Matthew's Gospel. And the, so the Greek word we're going to start with, like we always do, is uh, the Greek word leistes. So leistes. So it, this word literally means uh, robber or uh, could mean like bandit. Most times it's, it's robber, but Ratzinger actually points out that in Jesus's day, this word, while it literally meant robber, it was a synonym at the time for a resistance fighter. So it was a synonym at the time for a resistance fighter because we have to remember in Jesus's day, the Jews were a conquered people. They were not a free people to govern themselves. You know, the, the nation of Israel right? We had the 12 tribes, Exodus, they eventually got to the promised land. And then the time of the judges where they were kind of, they were a nation, right? They weren't a kingdom. They were a nation. They were fighting for their territory, fighting to, for the promised land. Then they wanted a king. So they appointed Saul. Saul ended up, you know, disobeying God, being a bad king. So God appointed David so Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the first king after God's own heart. So this was the kingdom of Israel. But shortly after Solomon's death, David's son, the, the kingdom got split in two, with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And then as, as history goes, eventually the northern kingdom, which was basically all uh, 10 of the tribes, got taken into exile, and they're the lost tribes of Israel, right? And then... The southern tribes survived for a while, but eventually they were sent to exile by Babylon. So the tribes of Judah and uh, Levites, and also kind of Benjamin too. Benjamin, uh, it's kind of a different story. Uh, Judah and Benjamin got in this big war, Judah won, and the tribe of Benjamin was kind of uh, assumed. Um, so they were kind of a, the small, almost non-existent tribe at the time, even though they're still around. And... After the Babylonian exile, they were eventually sent back to the Holy Land, the Promised Land, and they rebuilt Jerusalem. They rebuilt the temple. It's the second temple period, right? Uh, and they were their own uh, 
kingdom again for a little while until Alexander the Great came in. The Greeks invaded. You know, Alexander the Great took over a lot of the known world. And upon his death, his uh, territory, his country was split up into different parts. And each general was given governance over one of the parts and basically formed their own kingdoms. And after uh, being uh, ruled by the Greeks for a while, uh, the Roman Empire came and and conquered. So the Romans were then now the rulers. So the Jewish people, while given some autonomy to practice their religion, were not free. They were a conquered people. They were a conquered people. But you have to understand with the, the Jewish religion, especially in Jesus' day, was essentially tied to their political freedom because the Messiah that a lot of them were expecting, not all, there was different thoughts amongst Judaism, they were awaiting a Messiah, uh, a new king, a new Davidide, a new king from the line of David to come and free them from their oppressors so that they may worship in spirit and truth. They may worship the God of the Old Testament, you know, uh, Yahweh. They may worship God, Adonai, the way they, they're supposed to, being ruled as a covenantal people. So this is what they were anticipating. All Jews were anticipating a Messiah. Some were anticipating a political Messiah, some more of a spiritual Messiah, especially the Essenes was another sect of Judaism. And there's different sects expecting different things. So one of the things under Roman rule was every Passover, and we, we read this in the gospel, that apparently every Passover, something called the Passover amnesty, where the Roman government would release a prisoner uh, in, you know, during a feast. And this wasn't super uncommon in the Roman Empire. During major feasts, um, people would be uh, forgiven or prisoners released. You even see this in the Old Testament you know, during the uh, uh, year of mercy, you know, every 50 years, all debts were forgiven and prisoners released and all these things. So this wasn't an uncommon thing. The th- and with the Roman Empire, the, the amnesty was given uh, by the, it's called the Vox Romani, the voice of Rome, the voice of the people. So they would decide who would be released. And we, we know the story, right? Je- Jesus is... Talking to Pilate, especially in the Gospel of John, we we hear more of that conversation. Where, you know, Jesus says, "You know, uh, I'm the truth," and Pilate says, "You know, what is truth?" And you know, Jesus says, "My kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, you know, my father, you know, my followers would free me, and all these things." So we know the story. And at this point, Pilate hasn't condemned Jesus. They're just talking. If if anything, Pilate's like, "There's like this dude hasn't done anything wrong," you know. And Pilate brings Jesus out and presents Barabbas. And then he presents Jesus. And he says, you know, which one do you want me to free? And the irony here that Ratzinger points out is that by presenting Jesus as someone who would qualify for the amnesty, he's treating them as if he was already condemned. He was already a condemned prisoner. Because if he wasn't, why would he need to be up for amnesty? 
if he was a free man, it would have been unjust and not right to say, you know, to, to compare him to Barabbas, who was a robber. So, I mean, to taking a closer look at Barabbas, you know, who was Barabbas? John 18, we read, now Barabbas was a bandit or a robber. That's that word, laystace. In Mark 15, we read, now at the festival, he used, he used to release a prisoner for them, anyone for whom they asked. Now a man called Barabbas was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the insurrection. So Mark 15, we know that Barabbas was part of an uprising. In Luke 23, 19, we, it's a little parenthesis. It says, this was a man who had been put in prison for an insurrection that had taken place in the city and for murder. So odds are he was accused of murder because he probably killed Roman soldiers. So as a non-citizen, killing a Roman citizen as an uprising, you're a murderer in the, in the, lives, in the eyes of the Roman state. In Matthew 27, is, I think this is a really interesting passage. Matthew 27, I'm going to read 15 through 23 because it's, uh, it's, it's going to be insightful for us to kind of dive in. And before I read this, uh, one of the things that Ratzinger points out as well is that many manuscripts until about the third century didn't just say Barabbas. So the manuscripts of the, the Gospels. They didn't just say Barabbas. They said Jesus Barabbas. And the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible actually uses this translation. So in Matthew verse 27, verses 15 through 23, we read, Now at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who was called the Messiah. For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man. For today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So Barabbas, who is probably the leader of a resistance movement, and you know, so you know, in verse 16 here it says, He had a notorious prisoner. So he wasn't just any murderer. He wasn't just any robber. He wasn't just any resistance fighter. Matthew puts it puts him basically as a notorious prisoner. Namely, he was the leader of a resistance movement. So he was a messianic figure. I mean, even look at his name. His name is Bar Abba, which means son of the father. You know, when Jesus says, you know, pray, Abba, father. Bar Abba, he's a son of the father. And, and Ratzinger actually points out, this is odds are this is not his literal name. This was not the name he was given at birth. At the time uh, in Jesus' day, when there was an uprising, the leaders would kind of adopt 
a name to symbolize uh, their messianic claim. Uh, the last great Jewish uh, messianic figure, Ratzinger points out, his name was Bar Kokhba, which means son of the star. So it's another kind of like semi-divine name. Right? Son of the father is uh, what's what Barabbas' Bar name means literally. So we have two forms of messianic beliefs that stand in opposition. On the one hand is the Messiah who, who led and who will potentially lead again an arms insurrection to overthrow the Roman oppressors, a very tangible leader. This is one of the things I actually don't like about the Passion of the Christ is because Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ portrays Barabbas as this really like ugly dude with like, you know, he, he, he appears very stupid uh, in the movie. Um, and grotesque and all these things. And I, I, I get that to a certain extent. So I think it's he's supposed to symbolically represent you know, a false choice. But at the same time, this man, uh, if he was a notorious prisoner and if he was a leader of a resistance movement, odds are he was not stupid. Odds are he had followers. Ratzinger even points this out. When the crowd uh, came and, you know, to say, you know, Jesus of Barabbas, odds are uh, the Pharisees, gathered these people and gathered his followers to make sure they were vehemently, you know, asking for Barabbas's release. So odds are this man was not some gross, dumb, grotesque man. He was a leader and a potentially inspiring leader that could potentially lead the Jewish people to a literal earthly freedom. So on one hand, you have a man, a messianic figure, a Bar Abba, who you know, led an arm insurrection who's got, who would potentially lead another one. On the other hand, you have a man who's mysteriously offering life and freedom through him. He claims to be the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the choice we all face. This is the choice of man. Everything you do, you're given two options. Do you choose God who is offering you life and freedom in a mysterious veiled way at times? Or do you choose the tangible freedom that this earth offers through violence? And now maybe you say, I've never done anything violent in my life. Well, it's not my, not always physical violence, but when we get frustrated, when we get angry, when we get annoyed, it's it's an emotional violence. When things don't go your way, when things don't go according to plan, we have this uh, volatile, same root word, volatile response. Why is that? It's because we're choosing the tangible Messiah over the divine. Fear is only present to those who lack faith to a greater or lesser degree. Fear is not of God. Read First John. Fear is not of God. Fear is not a quality. To be fearful is not a quality of one who has faith in the risen Messiah. And fear comes when we choose Jesus bar Abba instead of Jesus the Messiah. When we put our hopes in worldly possessions and worldly hopes and worldly aspirations only, that's when fear creeps in. That's when panic creeps in. 
thinking of this time of quarantine, obviously, right now. And yeah, we have to take it super seriously, y'all. It's no, it's no joke. People are dying. And even if you're asymptomatic, you can and you don't know you have it, you could spread it to an elderly person. That's super serious, or you know, it's even a baby. Yet, are we maintaining our Christian peace? You take it seriously, yes, and you do what you're supposed to do, yes, and you don't, you don't, you don't create it as a joke, right? It's not a joke. But are we fearful? And if we are, why? If we're mad at you know the government failing us, the I mean, come on, y'all. Like, there's a reason there's a separation between church and state, and that's actually invented by the church back when Christianity became legal. The emperor went to the pope and says, you know, do you want to rule or whatever? And the pope was like, nah, dude, that's your job. I'm here to govern the faithful. And obviously that got corrupted later on, and that's a different talk. But, you know, if we're so livid that the government's not responding the way we think they're supposed to respond, you know, we just let this fear and panic and anxiety take over our lives. We have chosen Bar Abba. We lost our peace. Jesus is saying, come to me, trust in me. This false earthly Messiah is not your road to freedom. Putting your trust in this world and in your money, in your house, if you're in school, in your grades, in your position, that's not it. That's not the, that's not the road to freedom. That's the flat, easy way. Jesus is inviting you to take up his cross and follow him. In Romans, Romans 1, shifting gears here a little bit. Paul actually, he actually talks about this. So, because, you know, Paul's not dumb. He's obviously aware that there were a lot of Jews at the time who were expecting this political overthrow. They were expecting an earthly kingdom. Not all the Jews, but there's a lot of them. And Paul, when he writes the Romans, really just punches Caesar in the face. And I think we miss it a lot of times. We have to read between the lines a little bit. So in Romans 1, verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Paul. First, I'll call himself an apostle. It's a, in the Greek, it's apostolos, which is also interpreted as a royal messenger. So Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus called to be his royal messenger. Instantly, we know Jesus is some kind of royal figure. Set apart for the gospel of God, the euangelion in Greek. And the Evangelion was something when the Roman emperor 
or the Roman general, when they when a great battle was won, they would send a messenger to Rome and pronounce the Evangelion, the good news that victory was won. So this Christ Jesus is a royal figure, and Paul is set apart to announce that Christ has won a victory. That's verse 1, that Christ has won a victory, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures. It's his prophets. If it's his prophets, that means he is a divine figure. His authority keeps growing. He's not only royal, he's divine. Concerning his son, who is descended from David, according to the flesh. So this son of God is a descendant of David, the greatest of kings of Israel. He was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus Christu to cure you. Jesus Christ our Lord. Curios. Lord. Was what you would call Caesar. And Caesar would also call himself the son of God. But the thing is, the Caesars would claim their divinity like post-mortem. So when they died, that's when they were like truly sons of God. But Paul is saying here, he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. So Jesus is not son of God post-mortem. He is the living true son of God who is descendant of David, the true king who has won victory over death and sin and in the grave and over the powers of this world. He is the one who has set apart Paul to be his messenger of the Evangelion, the good news to proclaim victory over the Bar Abba of the world, over the, the governments of the world who claim that they are all that we need to live a good life. Paul is saying, no, this I'm the messenger. I'm the holy messenger, the royal messenger who is set apart for the good news for the true God through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. The Roman Empire, you think you might have conquered the world, but it is Jesus Christ who offers grace, who offers apostleship to all the nations to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, which is above every other name, that the name of Jesus every knee may bow in Philippians 2, right? including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's the first paragraph of Romans. We can say a lot more about it, but we're running a little short on time here. So I, I just want to encourage you to think about these things during Holy Week. What are you choosing over God this week? What bar Abba are you tempted to pick? What elements of your life have you not given over to God? And I invite you to dive into this Holy Week to not choose Jesus bar Abba, but to choose Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the true King who rules 
because he lives forever. Praying for you this Holy Week. Please pray for me and mine. Do your best to dive in, especially to the Triduum. I know it's weird. I know we can't physically go and celebrate the liturgy. But let's try to find time for silence, for grace, for the Holy Spirit to move in our, in our lives and our home. I'm really praying for you guys. I hope you have a blessed Holy Week. Thank you again so much for joining us on this episode of Catholics with Bibles. Very, very excited for next week's episode with my buddy Ben West. We're going to talk about the four keys to reading Paul. It's a very exciting episode. Make sure you tune in. If you haven't subscribed, please do so. Subscribe, like, share, write a review. The review really helps me out, helps this podcast to grow, help people to find it easier. So if you haven't reviewed, please go ahead and give a review. Uh, you know, as long as it's a nice review. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> uh, anyway, I hope you guys have a blessed Holy Week and I'll see you next week.